We're going to be in Ecclesiastes 5 this morning, and that's uh, in the second area, Solomon's investigation. And the theme verse for Ecclesiastes comes at the end of the uh, end of the book in uh, chapter 12. Uh, the conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. And two major themes, I talked about this last week, uh, that uh, Pastor Pennington, uh, in his message, identified these themes. And uh, I like uh, what he said, and, and it's uh, very accurate. Uh, theme number one is... Life is a gift from God to be enjoyed. Uh, there's a lot of ups and downs in the book of uh, Ecclesiastes, um, but we're to enjoy our work. Um, and the second theme is life has serious limitations uh, because of the fall of man. We're in chapter uh, 5 this morning, and uh, the passage uh, theme verse um, I uh, would have added 19 as well, but then you'll see why when we get there. Um, but uh, here is what I've seen to be good. This is uh, Solomon talking. And fitting to eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself in all one's labor, in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him, for this is his reward. And uh, then the the theme statement, uh, be reverent in approaching the holy God, fulfill all your promises to him, understand the limitations of life, and enjoy God's gift of labor and temporal earthly provisions. So I'm going to read, uh, I'm not going to read the whole passage to start with, I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 7, and then we'll uh, talk about uh, what, uh, what's in that. So let's and I have Ephesians 4 on my chart, or uh, Ecclesiastes 4 on my chart. It's actually chapter, uh, chapter 5. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven, and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort, and the voice of a fool through many words. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pray what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and uh, not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin, and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. Rather, fear God. I'm not sure if anybody can correct this, but there's a little bit of a feedback uh, that I'm hearing. Um, but we'll, we'll continue on. Here's the first part. Be reverent when you approach the eternal God and go with the attitude of listening and obeying his word and not with meaningless religious formalism. Uh, 
He says to guard your steps as, as you go to the house of God. Uh, and this is a major theme in, in uh, the Bible. Uh, the house of God may refer to any place where God reveals himself. Um, here's uh, Jacob and Jacob's ladder, and he called it the house of God. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Uh, because he spent time and because he knew it was God communicating with him, uh, he referred to this place as the house of God. And then when he left there, he put up some stones and again called it the house of God. Um, so the house of God is the meeting place of God with his people. We see that also in the temple and, and also in the tabernacle. In 2 Chronicles 3.3, 3, now these are the foundations which Solomon laid for building the house of God. Uh, and again, it was because uh, that was a meeting place uh, for God to meet with his people. Um, and we have the Holy of Holies uh, where God uh, would meet uh, with, with the high priest. Um, God does uh, not... God does not tell us not to approach him also, but to guard our steps and to understand that he is the holy, infinite I am God and we are finite sinners. Uh, the example of Moses and the burning bush. Uh, Moses had fled Egypt when he was 40 years old because he killed an Egyptian uh, that was beating an Israelite. And uh, he feared that uh, people would know about that and that he might lose his life. So he went out to the wilderness, uh, Midian, and uh, he was there for 40 years. And so he's 80 years old when this happens. Um, but it's the uh, burning bush. And he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Literally, we could call this a house of God as well uh, because the Lord is using this to come and speak to him. But uh, he's asking Moses to guard his steps. Um, he is on holy ground, so he's asking him, telling him to take off his sandals, and you can see them there in that uh, uh, picture uh, because it's uh, holy ground. It's God talking to his people. We also have the example of the tabernacle. Um, uh, God was very clear that uh, there had to be physical cleansing uh, for anyone to approach him in the tabernacle. Uh, and along with that is spiritual cleansing as well. Uh, it was only the high priest that could go into the Holy of Holies. It says, you shall also make a laver of bronze. And I put a little arrow there so you can see it. And it's right before entering into the tabernacle um, with its base of bronze for washing. And you shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it. Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet from it, and they shall enter the tent of meeting. They shall wash with water so that they will not die. Or when they approach the altar to minister by offering up, uh, up in smoke a fire sacrifice, uh, to the Lord. So uh, very important when approaching God 
that we approach him in the right way. We guard our steps. We see this also in the temple. And uh, I think you'll remember when we went through uh, the temple, there was this huge uh, basin of water. It's called a sea, S-E-A. And uh, that just emphasized that they needed to come and physically uh, be clean. They didn't, he were not to come into the temple uh, without being clean uh, physically. Um, but also they were to be clean spiritually as well. He gave some warnings uh, to sinful Israel about coming to him uh, with meaningless sacrifices. Isaiah chapter 1-2 says uh, he's talking to sinners, uh, sinful Israel at this point. He says, when you uh, come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? And it was because they were coming sinfully and making these sacrifices that meant nothing uh, because they were practicing, uh, even worshiping other gods. Leviticus 15.31 says, Thus you shall keep the sons of Israel separated from their uncleanness so that they will not die in their uncleanness by their defiling my tabernacle um, that is among them. You know, after going through all of this, I uh, asked myself the question, what about today? Uh, well, today we are to come to our God with hearts sprinkled clean. Here's Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Remember the... Uh, the curtain was torn in two when he died because he is, he is our access to the Holy of Holies. Um, so therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So there's a, the sense there, even for us, that when we approach God, we come uh, with clean hearts. Uh, we don't come uh, casually to our Lord God. Um, I think about when we come to the communion table. Uh, that's probably what you're thinking about as well. Uh, celebrating the death of our Savior um, and we should come with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith in having a heart sprinkled clean uh, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Uh, it's important uh, that we do that and, and we ask God to forgive us, give us so we can participate uh, in the communion service and that's appropriate for us. I also think about when we come to uh, worship, uh, we need to come with reverence to our Lord God. And uh, I think oftentimes uh, I'm not promoting everybody wearing coats and ties, the guys and, and, uh, and the gals wearing, you know, fashion dresses and all that. Uh, but I am saying, and I think the scriptures imply this to us, that when we come, we come with reverence. Um, we would dress up more to go see the President of the United States. 
uh, in some cases. And so I just think it's, uh, I'm not looking around to see who's not dressed. I'm, uh, <laughs> but I, I think we need to think about that. You know, I think that's appropriate. That's a good application for us to know that when we come today to worship, when we come today to hear the word of God, uh, we're coming to meet our Lord, uh, to, to worship him uh, as we go to uh, the main service. And that's important for us to remember that. It's a good application for us. Listen in verse 1. The word listen in verse 1 uh, in Hebrew has a double force in English. Uh, it means to pay attention and obey. Uh, so th that's the focus. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to uh, listen and obey rather than to offer sacrifice of fools for they do not know how they are, uh, that they are doing evil. Proverbs 15.8 says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Proverbs 21.27, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with an evil heart and, and with disobedience. And the end of the verse says, uh, For they do not know they are doing evil. Uh, when we come casually uh, to the Lord God. One... One commentator, I like this uh, quote, no amount of emphasis on grace can justify taking liberties with God, for the very concept of grace demands gratitude, and gratitude cannot be casual. Um, let me read that again for you so you can think about that. No amount of emphasis on grace can justify taking liberties with God, for the very concept of grace demands gratitude, and gratitude cannot be casual. We don't approach our God casually. Uh, he makes it easy for us to come to him, um, but we don't come casually. We come to him as the almighty God, the infinite God, the I am God. Um, he is not the God upstairs. He is not uh, my buddy. Uh, he's the infinite God, and we need to uh, treat him that way and come to him in that way. When praying to the Lord God, keep it simple with very few words, knowing that the Lord God is infinite and we are finite. Uh, this is a foundational truth that God is in heaven and he says you are on earth. Um, we are earthlings. Uh, we're not God. We're not equal with God. And uh, so we come to him uh, with uh, simple words. Proverbs ten nineteen says, When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Uh, that's an interesting statement, um, but it's true. Um, the more we talk, sometimes we get ourselves in trouble. And that's the idea that is uh, contained there. Matthew 6, 7, and 8. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows uh, that you, what you need before you ask him. And uh, I was thinking about Peter. There are times when uh, you need to not 
uh, pray a lot of words. And uh, when Peter was walking on the water and he began to sink, um, he didn't start by saying, Lord, you called me out of the boat. I trusted you and began to walk on the water. But when I saw the wind and became frightened and began to sink, will you please grab hold of me and pull me safely back to the boat, please? He didn't say that. Um, he said, but seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And sometimes that's the simple thing that uh, we need to pray. Um, Lord, help me. And the Lord knows what we need help in. It doesn't, uh, it's okay to say what we need help in um, because that, I think that's appropriate. Um, verse 3 says, For the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. And when you talk about dreams, we're talking about the unreality of, of uh, things. Uh, dreams are not real. Fortunately, they're not real because I had a dream last night that, uh, <laughs> that I'll tell you about because it's not real, thankfully. Uh, I dreamt that I was trying out for a basketball team. <laughs> and uh, the coach was Chaz. <laughs> and Chaz wouldn't let me on the team because I couldn't make my free throws. Now, I'm glad that was a dream. <laughs> uh, Chaz would not be my coach. I would not play basketball for him. I can't play basketball anymore. <laughs> so, at any rate, that's the idea of a dream, is that there's, uh, it's not a, not a reality. You know, I want to be careful how we apply this passage of uh, not many words. Um, you know, and I, I went to the, the uh, prayer of Hannah. Uh, Hannah poured out her heart before the Lord with, with probably many words. Uh, and we have some recorded for us. Um, uh, but she prayed a prayer of submission to the Lord. Um, and it, there are longer prayers of uh, uh, thanksgiving. Uh, in fact, after she received her son, she wrote, uh, it was recorded what she uh, prayed in chapter 2 of uh, 1 Samuel. Uh, I'm not going to read that, but that's a lot of words of worshiping God for what he did. And so I think it's appropriate sometimes in the right way to use many words. When he's talking about many words, he's talking about talking about ourselves and talking about uh, things that are inconsequential. Um, here's... Uh, 1 Samuel um, chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. She, Hannah, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made a vow, and we're going to talk about vows in a minute, and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come upon his head. Um, that's a, a prayer of a lot of words, but it's a lot of words that uh, are very meaningful and, and appropriate for uh, approaching the Lord God. Luke chapter 18, uh, verses 10 through 14, gives us another example. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, 
swindlers, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast, fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. And see, there's a prayer that is not appropriate. Lots of words and lots of words about myself. Um, and it's contrasted with the tax collector. And the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so, um, you know, that publican, a sinner, he could have spent a lot of time uh, praying, but he got to the real request, God be merciful to me. And sometimes that's all we need to say, that's all we need to pray. And that's the point of, of all of this. When you make a, gal, a vow to God, pay what you have vowed on time. Uh, do not be late. Um, verse 4, for uh, you are a fool and God doesn't delight in fools when you don't, don't uh, keep your vow. Um, and he gives a warning. He says... Uh, in verse 5, it is better not to make a vow to God in the first place rather than to make a vow to God and then to not keep it. Uh, so it's better not to make a vow uh, if you can't keep it. And the third warning, um, or second warning, is verse 6. Um, and that's those that uh, take the vows too lightly. They make a vow to, that maybe they knew they couldn't keep or... Uh, they never intended to keep it. Um, so he says, uh, no, it was a mistake. I didn't mean it. I didn't realize how hard it was to keep it. Um, but God calls that sin. And it says that God is angry about it. And he will take action against you. He will destroy the work of your hand. Um, so it's, it's uh, important that we, it's, it's okay to, uh, make promises to the Lord, but we need to keep those promises. Um, and it's a sin not to do that. It's a sin to make promises that you can't keep or that you don't keep. Jeremiah 48.10 Cursed be the one who does the Lord's work negligently. And that's what we're talking about here. We're just being casual with the Lord. We're, we're making promises that we can't keep and uh, he says that's, uh, you're cursed for doing that. James 5.12, but above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but, you're, but uh, let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. And um, you remember Hannah and her vow, which she kept. When she had little Samuel, um, she didn't return to the temple until she had stopped nursing him. And in those days, uh, it was two or three years uh, that, uh, that they would nurse their babies. And uh, so, but when that time was up, she took little Samuel to the temple and gave him to the Lord. And uh, she kept that vow. And you could say that was a hard vow to keep because she didn't, at that time, 
she didn't have another child. Uh, later on, God gave her several children, but she kept that vow. Uh, she uh, gave little Samuel uh, to the temple. In summary, don't take, don't take God lightly. Um, verse 6, he will destroy the work of your hand. Um, and we read in uh, Jeremiah 48 and James 5.12. And here's the solution. The solution is to fear God. The solution is uh, to walk in the fear of the Lord. We've, we've seen that over and over and over in the writings of, of Solomon and Proverbs. We saw that so many times, um, to fear the Lord. Um, and what that means is not being afraid of God, but it's being reverential to him. It's knowing that he is God and treating him as God and not like another person. Um, he is another person, but he is the God person. Uh, and so we don't treat the Father or the Son or the Holy Spirit in that way. Uh, we come to them with uh, reverence, fearing God. All right, let's read uh, the next two verses, uh, verses 8 and 9. And this is about oppression again. Uh, we saw a little bit of that last week. Uh, when you, if you see oppression of the poor and denial of justice and righteousness in the province, do not be shocked at the sight. For one official watches over another official, and there are higher officials over them. After all, a king who cultivates the field is an advantage to the land. When there is oppression of people by the government, don't be shocked to see it at all levels of rulers, each level watching over the next level. And, and that's what we can see even our, in our own nation when uh, there are corrupt leaders. Uh, it's not just the leader, it's the people below them and people below them as well that they're taking advantage of, of the people and taking advantage of the position that they're in. And... Uh, the Lord warns us that there's going to be this kind of oppression and uh, they're squeezing all they can out of those that are uh, subservient to them. And we, like I say, we see that in our, in our own nation. And then number two, even the king participates in the profit from the land. Um, the NIV reads this way, the increase from the land is taken by all. This is in verse 9. The king himself profits from the fields. And it carries the idea that, that uh, he's taken profits from, from the field as well. Uh, Samuel warned about a king. The people asked for a king um, in 1 Samuel uh, 8. And so Samuel spoke all the words of the Lord to the people who had asked him, of him a king. He said, this will be the procedure of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and place them for himself in his chariots and among his horsemen, and they will run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and of fifties, and some to do his plowing and, and to reap his harvest and to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will also take your daughters for perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and of your vineyards 
and of your olive groves and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give uh, to his officers and to his servants. He will also take your male servants and your female servants and your best young men and your donkeys and use them for his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his servants. Then you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Um, I read that whole thing to you because uh, that's, that's not, what, not what all kings do, but that's the problem of power. Uh, when there is somebody who has power over another, because we are sinful creatures, we take advantage of that. And uh, that's what he says about a, a king. And uh, in our passage, it says, even the king participates in the prophet from the land. Um, I'm reminded of Rehoboam uh, after he became king and, and he took advice from some older men who counseled him to go easy on the people. Uh, but he listened to the younger men. Uh, and so he ended up doing this. The king answered his people harshly when they asked him to lighten the load. Uh, for he forsook the advice of the elders which they had given him. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to you your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. And so here's a young man uh, who's just received power of the nation of Israel, and uh, he's doing exactly what Samuel predicted a king would do. Uh, this is a king who is not trusting in God. This is a king who is an evil king. And uh, Rehoboam was that king. Also thought of uh, Ahab. Uh, Ahab was a king of Israel, um, not the king of Judah. Um, and he, late in his life, he coveted uh, the vineyard, Naboth's uh, vineyard, uh, which was next to his. Uh, he wanted to have that, and he w was willing to pay for it. Um, but that was against the uh, Jewish law, is that you were not to sell your land. You were to, you were inherited that from the Lord. And uh, he didn't want land to be transferred from uh, one person to another. So looks like Naboth was very orthodox in his thinking. And uh, so he... Um, uh, he denied that. He uh, did, decided not to do that. And so Ahab pouted. And, uh, and then his wife Jezebel, the queen, uh, came and said, what, why are you uh, so sad? Why are you pouting? And so he told her the story. And, and the story goes that she arranged to have Naboth killed. And uh, when Naboth, after he was killed, uh, then they could take the land and do whatever they wanted to. And that's exactly what they did. But here's the case of power, not only in a man, but also in a woman, uh, to take advantage of the people. And, uh, and that's the oppression that, that we face as a people even now. We face that in our own nation. Uh, we're going to hear more and more about uh, attacks against Christians, and you're already hearing it. In fact, uh, the last several years... Uh, Everything has accelerated, uh, at least, you know, from what I knew when I was a kid and when I was younger. Um, 
and uh, we're seeing we're seeing end times coming and I thank the Lord for that I look forward to the time when the king of kings will rule um, and I think all of you look forward to that this time as well that will be a king who is a benevolent king that takes care of us uh, that loves us and and I look forward to the king of kings the Lord Jesus Christ All right, let's read the next section, which is the folly of riches. Verse 10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. When good things increase, those who consume them in increase. So what is the advantage to their owners except to look on? The sleep of the working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. There is a grievous evil, this is the first of two grievous evils, which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt. When the rich uh, were lost, when the riches, uh, when those riches were lost through a bad investment, and he had fathered a son, then there was nothing to support him, nothing to support the son. And as he had become naked from his mother's womb, so will he return as he came. He will, not take, he will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus he will die. So what is the advantage to him who toils for that wind? Throughout his life, he also eats in darkness with great vexation, sickness, and anger. Here is what I have seen to be good and fitting, to eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him, for this is his reward. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. The love of money and riches is vanity in verse 10. Um, uh, three chapters ago in chapter 2, as Brian taught, um, verses 8 through 11, also I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me, all that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, all was vanity, striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. Um, in the end, it it means nothing. In the end, it's all going to go away. Uh, that's the whole idea. It's, uh, the love of money and riches is vanity. 
uh, who spent her lifetime uh, looking after, trying to go after money um, for money's sake, to get richer, to get, have a bigger house, to all those things that uh, we may be tempted to do. Uh, in the end, it's all vanity. It's not worth anything. Uh, that's his point. That's his point. The accumulation of money and riches incre uh, creates increased responsibility and anxiety. Um, uh, the more riches we have, the more uh, people who consume, people that will come to us and consume part of our riches. Um, and what's my advantage to that? None except to observe what is going on. Um, doesn't do me any good, uh, that's what he's saying. Um, Uh, increased uh, anxiety. Uh, he says here, the working man eats little, in verse 12. Working man eats little or much, but happily sleeps. He's, he's uh, satisfied with his work. He's half satisfied with uh, what he is doing. But the rich man eats well. He has a full stomach, but he can't sleep due to worry about his riches. And he may be worrying about keeping his riches, or he may be worrying about the next deal he has, um, uh, but he is worrying about his riches and can't sleep. Here's the first grievance of evil uh, seen by Solomon. The love of money uh, can be disastrous. And um, in verses 13 uh, and 14, uh, there is a grievous evil which I've seen under the sun, Riches being, riches being hoarded by their owner for his hurt. When those riches were lost through bad investment and he had fathered a son, then there was nothing to support him. Uh, that can happen with riches. Um, they can disappear very quickly. And uh, I looked on the internet and I, I was gonna give you some examples, but there are lots of examples of billionaires who lost everything and lost it overnight. And um, I mean, I, there's more names than I could give you. And there's some that lost everything and then got everything back. Um, that happened as well, but uh, that's not a, certainly not a certainty. Because of the uncertainty of riches and trusting so much in them for support, when they are gone, suddenly you have no support for your family. And uh, if you're dependent upon riches and not upon the Lord, um, it's going to be a problem. Psalm 62.10, if riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Uh, and that's what this man did in the example that we just read. Uh, his heart was set on his riches, uh, and he counted on it for supporting his son. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on your riches. Um, don't lean on your understanding that riches can help you, uh, that uh, can support you and they'll be there forever. And I like this verse, trust in the Lord forever. For in God, the Lord, we have an everlasting rock. Uh, while riches go away, the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ does not go away. Uh, he is our God and he supports us. Um, I'll tell you a, a little story about myself. Um, I was in uh, 
the fall of 2006, uh, I was getting ready to retire. And uh, all during my retirement, uh, all, all during my work rather, I would get estimates of my pension. And, uh, and it was a really good pension. And uh, because I worked 38 years for the same company, I changed names a few times and that became the problem. So I decided to get a final estimate and, uh, and when I got that estimate, it came back 40% less than what I had been told for many, many years. And uh, so, of course, I went to HR and, and uh, talked to them about it and, and uh, pleaded with them, I did everything that I could. Um, uh, they couldn't change it. What happened is they had connected, I had moved from California to Texas uh, at their request. Um, and, uh, and I made that move, but when I made that move, I made it from what used to be uh, Ford Aerospace or Laurel to Lockheed Martin. And uh, so I literally lost that. Uh, it was overnight. It was within seconds when I got that. Um, uh, it was gone. And, uh, and it, uh, to, uh, to be real honest with me, with you, it was a hard time for Nancy and I at that time because um, uh, it was really time to retire. And, and so um, we did retire. Um, and one of the things that happened, which I see definitely of the Lord, is that uh, the president of my, comp my division um, told them, told the company to give me a nice big check. And, uh, and he did that, and it was uh, at risk for him, because he made the lawyers upset because there were probably other people in my situation as well. And, uh, but I look at that and I, I go back and say, um, it's better for me to trust in the Lord than to trust in Lockheed Martin. And, uh, and that's true for all of us. Um, we need to trust in the Lord. I wasn't seeking wealth, but I was depending upon it. And uh, all of a sudden it was gone. And I can tell you that the Lord has provided for Nancy and I for all these years since that time, and, and uh, he's been faithful to us. And, uh, but I just thought I'd give you that. Uh, when I'm going through reading and studying through this passage, I'm thinking about that, because that's when that disappeared for me all of a sudden. There's number four. The second grievous evil seen by Solomon is no one can take the full of of their labor past the boundary of death. Um, as he had come naked from his mother's womb, it reads in uh, verses 15 and 16, so will he return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus he will die. So what is the advantage of him who toils for the wind? Um, when we die, all of that goes away. Uh, Job is obviously a good example of that too because uh, the Lord allowed Satan to take away all that he had. And literally a day, he lost his children, he lost uh, 
all of his livestock, he lost his vineyards, he lost everything um, in a day. And um, what did he say? He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And his wife even tried him to curse God and die. And uh, Job refused to do that because his trust was in the Lord. And um, God, in the end, God restored all of that to him because God proved to Satan that Job was trusting in the Lord and not in his riches, not in the things that uh, the Lord had blessed him with. And then the Lord blessed Job with really even double or triple what, what he had before. But in the end, he let that go too. He didn't take it with him because uh, that's the nature of wealth. Number five, in between nakedness of birth and nakedness of death throughout his life, the wealthy person experienced darkness, vexation, sickness, and anger. And we see that in verse uh, 17. Um, he eats in darkness, it says. Uh, misery, his preoccupa preoccupation with wealth, led to a gloomy life. Um, it's not satisfying. Great vexation, the cares and frustrations that tore at his mind and his heart. Uh, he was vexed. Um, it, he was torn apart in his heart. S talks about sickness, physical strain, and anger. And this is probably times when he was angry because some deal didn't go through or he lost some money or uh, some of his uh, livestock. Um, so, uh, you know, even for the one who is rich, if he's depending upon those things, it's a, it's a rough life. Believe it or not, it is a rough life. And lastly, um, Solomon summarize how, summarizes how we should live. Here is what I have seen to be good and fitting and beautiful. Um, let me read that for you again because that's a, a good way to end our time. Here, to, here is what I have seen to be good and fitting, to eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him, for this is his reward. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. Um, so here is what is good. And he kind of divides this up between kind of the regular person, uh, maybe a poor person or an average person, uh, and a rich person in the next verse. Uh, and you'll see that they're almost the same. Um, for the regular person, he says, eat, drink, and enjoy the labor and life which has been given by God to him, for this is his reward. For the person whom God has given wealth, uh, eat from his riches, re rejoice in his life and labor, which has been given by God to him for this is his reward. Uh, so in either case, 
whether we have lots of money, whether we're poor or middle class or whatever we are, have enough to get by on, or we're filthy rich, pardon it, <laughs> uh, we have lots of money, uh, and there, you know, some people in our church, are, there are people in our church of all categories. One of the things I love about our church is I can sit next to anybody and I have no idea whether they have lots of money or little money. It doesn't matter. And uh, I love that because we're all in the body of Christ and uh, we're not dependent upon our wealth. It says, for each person, he will not often think about his lot in life because God keeps him focused on the gladness of his heart for what God has gifted to him. And that's, that's a good application for us is we don't need to think about riches or getting, you know, the next pile of money or whatever. Uh, whatever we have is what God has gifted us with. And uh, we can be thankful for that. Um, everyone sitting in this room uh, has received a gift from God and how you live your life. Uh, for some, it might be lots of money. For some, it might be other things. It might be talents. Um, might be the ability to serve, um, but God has gifted every one of us, and uh, we need to be thankful for that and focus on the gladness of our hearts. Uh, we need to be thankful and, and uh, happy for the things that God has given to us. As I thought about applications, I just know that as I'm going through that, what we just went through, there are lots of things that we need to apply to our lives. But I'm going to keep it simple with just uh, three items um, taken from each one of the areas. Be reverent when approaching the Lord God in prayer and in worship. Um, and uh, I, I'll give you Hebrews again, Hebrews 19 through 22. I won't read it, but... Um, this is uh, our God uh, that, uh, you know, we approach him um, with our hearts sprinkled clean with an, uh, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's how we come to the house of God. That house, that's how we come to church. Uh, and we need to think about that when we get up in the morning on Sunday and, and come to church. And we need to dress appropriately. We need to... to uh, take a shower, <laughs> all those things, uh, even just thinking about I'm going to worship the infinite holy God. Uh, that's the way we need to think, and I need to prepare myself. Uh, I need to prepare myself physically and spiritually as I come to worship the Lord God. Second, be aware of the serious limitations in life uh, particularly by the government, and be in submission to that authority. And there is a balance. Um, the government can't uh, force us to sin. If they ask us to sin, we need to, to not do that. Um, we need to be submission to the government uh, with that exception. Or if they tell us that we can't do something that God has commanded us to do, um, we need to disobey the government at that point. Uh, in either case, we need to be careful that overall we are in submission to the government because God put that government over us. 
And so we need to be careful about that. And lastly, whether rich or poor, we can enjoy life and work, uh, which are gifts from uh, the Lord God. Um, my prayer for all of us is that as we go through life, um, that we focus on um, our God. We focus on the gifts that he has given to us and we use them appropriately and, uh, and focus on uh, our own gladness of heart. Uh, we need to be happy about, uh, about what, and joyful about what God has given to us. And I pray that will be true for each one of us. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for uh, your word, and we thank you for um, all the teaching that you give us in your word. Uh, we thank you for uh, teaching on how we should approach you, and, and we recognize and we worship you as the Almighty God, the I Am God, the God who is eternal, the God who is infinite, uh, all-knowing, um, who is omnipresent, um, we just thank you uh, for that, and you are the all-powerful God. And yet, you, you come to us, you sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die in our place. And we thank you for the salvation that, uh, that we have. We are such a minute part of this universe, a, a part of infinity, and yet you loved us, and uh, you sent your son to die in our place to save us from our sin. And we thank you for that. I pray that if there's anybody in the room that is not in Christ, I pray that they would uh, come to you in humbleness, in faith and repentance, come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that you warn us about uh, the uh, difficulties of life, um, the things that are hard for us, the limitations um, that we face uh, because of the sin in our world. Um, and we pray that uh, we would not focus on that, but we would focus on the gifts that you've given to us, the ability to work, the ability to serve, uh, the ability to love you and love each other. And we thank you for that, and we just... Um, we'll commit ourselves to you in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.